Many people say that music is a universal language. If that's the case, I would like to use music as a platform to talk about health. My name is Dr. Moshe Lewis, and I'm a full-time practicing physician who loves music and the way it affects our brains, our bodies, and our well-being. We'll be discussing topics that affect all of us, from mental health to body image, cancer screening to stroke. Our health is truly our greatest asset. Hopefully, these discussions will improve the health of our community. Welcome to Music and Medicine. I'm your host, Dr. Moshe Lewis, and I'm delighted to be joined and very honored to be joined by Pastor Joseph Smith, also JS3. <laughs> and we're going to get into that and talk about that a little bit. Um, thanks so much for being here. Pastor, this is definitely a change, um, not something you always expect. So let's roll back. How did you first get into music and really start thinking about, in this case, going into rap? Mm -hmm. So, um, so long story, um, but I, did, I started doing uh, secular music some years ago. Um, I was a DJ back in, in college a long time ago and everything, and I just started doing music. And then so I went from doing the secular music into doing Christian music probably about 15 years ago. Uh, so I was in a group called Quest, Quintessential Wisdom, Edifying, and Seeking Trinity. Uh, with my partner, uh, Gifted, and we released two CDs, and we did that. And then after that, a couple years ago, once I got here to this church, um, I started a record label with my wife. It's called Jehovah Jams Records. And so we've been doing music since then, and uh, God's been blessing us, and so we're looking forward to seeing what he's getting ready to do next. Sure. And tell us about sort of rap in particular. Like, what drew you to that art form? What are some of the, and who are some of your early influencers uh, back in the day when you first oh, got man. started? Well, as a DJ uh, back in the day, I was, I was like one of those DJs that started way back in the day. So, you know, Big Daddy Kane, of course, love Big Daddy Kane. Um, Boogie Down Productions, so with KRS-One, you know, um, Run DMC, you know, uh, all, of those, uh, all of those guys. So that was my biggest, uh, you know, influences back then. And so, you know, along the years, you know, as I got a chance to see and, and, and to see how hip hop has evolved, I said, you know, um, we started a, a group when I was on campus and um, I was never one of those people that could sing. So I said, well, you know, at least let me try to do this. And so I started out just basically as a DJ for my group. And uh, so I DJed and we did parties and all those types of things. And then, uh, you know, uh, started feeling it where I can flow a little bit myself. And uh, so I said, well, let's, let's try it. So I moved here to Atlanta uh, back in the 90s. And once I got here, I started doing music. And as I started doing music, I heard the voice of God, and a lot of people don't believe this, but I heard the voice of God telling me that he wanted me to do music, but he wanted me to do music to glorify him. And so it was a point in my, in my career, in my calling, and that type of thing, where I didn't know any of that stuff. And so where I'm sitting now, as a pastor, 20 years ago, you couldn't have told me I was going to be preaching in somebody's pulpit, yeah. right? And so I kept hearing that saying, and it was exactly that. I want you to do music, but I want you to do it to glorify me. And, um, and so I didn't do, listen for a couple of years. And after a while, I said, I, I need to start listening to God. Mm -hmm. And then as I started listening, I got saved in 2004. Then once I got saved, I just saw my life change. Sure. And then that's how the Christian rap started. Sure. And then let's just tease that out a little bit because so many young people today, especially, yeah, everybody, I say everybody's a musician, mm -hmm. has a song in them. Some people say they also have a movie mm -hmm. and an amazing story. Right. But it, it can be very hard because there are definitely things sometimes that go along with that life mm -hmm. where you're up late, you're exposed to certain influences, mm -hmm. and really being able to even sort of fit any church mm -hmm. into your schedule and into mm -hmm. your life, especially going to the late teen mm -hmm. years and then college years mm -hmm. and then post 
is really something that I think a lot of people struggle with, certainly artists have struggled with that I've talked with. How did you really sort of work through that maybe inner struggle of, okay, that type of music pulls me kind of away from really being anywhere on a Sunday morning mm -hmm. uh, and really talking about more positive things? Mm -hmm. Well, I tell you, you know, it was, it was really hard at first because looking back, as I, as I thought about it, Christian rap at that time wasn't really big. It was kind of like how hip hop first started. It was underground. And so at the time, a lot of artists was really saying, well, I just want to do secular music because I feel like I can get big and do what, you know, whatever I want to do. But from my standpoint, it was uh, a transition from saying, because uh, in the beginning I was still, you know, going to the clubs and, you know, barely going to church and smoking weed and, you know, smoking black and miles and drinking and everything like that. And so it was, it was a hard transition in the beginning. But as, I, but as I saw and felt the spirit of God coming on me, after a while, it just started getting easier. And it started getting to the point where I knew that um, God was changing me and I didn't have to do it. And so part of my testimony is knowing that where God is taking me from to where he's bringing me to, it's all about him. And all I had to do is let him do it. Because before I was thinking, you know, this whole transition, this whole thing is I'm scared of it. Right. Because I didn't know what this life was going to be. You know, I don't want to be no Bible thumper. I don't want to be no, you know, church boy and all that type of stuff. That wasn't what I was. I was, look, part of my testimony, just being real. Look, I was a whoremonger. I was the one in college that I went to college on a football scholarship. I played football at Purdue University, so baller up. Um, and I'm, a, I'm a frat boy. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a Sigma, so, you know, blue fire, right? And then I became a DJ. So with all of that going on, it was women around all the time. Right. Yeah. Women drinking, all that type of stuff. So that's where I wanted to be. I thought that that was my purpose in life. Yeah. Right. But as I went on and I saw how God was sowing this seed, this prophecy was coming to life. This was going on. And then he said, I want you to do music, but I want you to do music to glorify me is when I started thinking, well, what's, there's something more to this. And as I started feeling that in my spirit, that's when things changed. Yeah. And so it took some time. You know, because all this stuff doesn't happen overnight. Like I said, I got saved in 2004, and then me as a person, I'm a little, a little bit older in the music game and everything that's going on. But I had a, a prophecy that happened earlier, uh, not, too, not too long ago, that said, um, it's all in God's timing. We don't know when God is going to do certain things. So when he does it, it's all on him, and all I have to do is just allow him to do it and to change me from within to be the person that he's uh, calling me to be. And it's an amazing story, and, and I like really hearing that transformation piece because often in that struggle and in that change, you can really get something amazing. Now, another subtle change, too, is that because of COVID, you started including that in some of your songs. So talk about sort of where that came into mind because now we've got sort of Christian rap, but we also have some messages about, about COVID, of all things. I wear a couple of different hats. So I'm a pastor. I'm a chaplain and also a record label owner uh, with Jehovah Jams Records. Um, so it put it, God put it in my spirit about seven, eight months ago to do a song about social distancing. And so I did this song, came up with this idea called So I Can Live. And uh, basically, I talked to some of the people that I worked with at Emory at the time. Uh, and I told them that, hey, listen, because they didn't know like this side of me about doing music and that type of thing, right? And I said, uh, I'm, I'm going to shoot this video here. Uh, uh, I want to shoot this video here at the hospital. And they was like, what? And so I talked to my boss, and she said, uh, okay. And then they got permission for me to shoot parts of the video there. So I shot parts of the video there uh, at the hospital and in some other locations. And the song is uh, it's called So I Can Live. It's about social distancing because I believe that even now, 
or what's going on, we're still not protecting each other. We need to be there for each other. And we need to show each other that we love each other. And a lot of ways that we show each other that we love each other is by wearing masks, by social distancing, and knowing that even if I don't know you, if I protect myself, I'm helping protect you. And I love that concept because I think that this is part of a subtle message that's a little bit harder to get across, maybe public health, and I have a degree in public health, and so maybe we failed in it. That idea of being responsible for someone else, that although maybe I'm younger and don't have to be afraid that I could die from COVID, I don't know who I'm placing at risk. So if I wear the mask and I socially distance, there's some of the basic recommendations, even though they may be a small inconvenience, and I do think a small to almost minimal, it is helping my fellow man, this concept of I can sacrifice me to improve and help the health of we. Um, so I, I love that that's um, occurring. So let's talk and walk through a little bit about your life in a place like Emory, which is obviously a phenomenal institution, and your role as a chaplain. What are some of the things that you're, you're seeing and experiencing during this time of COVID? Okay, well, to give a little bit of a background, um, I attended seminary at Mercer University to get my master's degree, and so I have that. And then I was wondering what my direction was going to be uh, once I finished school. So I said, um, I heard about this program called CPE, which is Clinical Pastoral Education. And so I said, let me find out what's, what this is really about. And basically what it is, it's about a program that we would go into the hospital as an intern uh, and you would learn how to be a chaplain. Because being a chaplain, a lot of people think, well, you know, you can just be a chaplain any kind of way. No, that's, we, we actually train to be a chaplain. Okay. We train to support those people that, um, that are in the hospital, whether it's a patient or family members or friends or if it's staff, staff right. you know, a, as well. And so what we do is we, we have a team and we, have, we take classes and uh, we, we go through this process for a semester and we get what's called units. And once you get a, a certain amount of units, you can become a certified chaplain. And that's what my goal is, to become a certified chaplain. So I was, uh, you know, been at Emory uh, for a little bit over two years as a chaplain. And also I'm a chaplain for a hospice called uh, Cornerstone Hospice and Palliative Care, uh, which is based in Florida. And so in the hospital itself, it's a different environment because you have chaplains in other locations and prisons and airports and for corporate you know, environments and you know, uh, for the police and that type of thing. But being there with those patients and being there with those family members, it takes on a different meaning of support. It takes on a different meaning of somebody who might be at the end of life. And you know, as yourself being a doctor, when you hear cold blue, every time you hear cold blue, us as a chaplain in the, in the, in the hospital system that we're in, we attend all the cold blues because it might be family members there, it might be you know friends there, and we are there to be a support for the team during that time. So even if it's not a family member that's there, we're still there praying for the doctors and praying for the nurses and asking you know, um, for the best for uh, whatever is going on during that time because it's a lot. Sure, and let, let's talk about that just a little bit. So um, explain what a cold blue situation is for those that may not know it, and then also just, even sort of being that spectator, even though you've been there and probably now have also learned a lot about the protocols that they're following, sort of some of the things that are going through your mind when you, when you see this and when you show up at a code blue. Okay. So for a code blue, for those who don't know, a code blue is normally there's some kind of emergency going on with the patient. And so uh, it, normally a lot of times it's a heart attack or something like that. And so we respond to, to those. So as a chaplain, wherever we are, whatever, we do, whatever we're doing at the time, we stop. 
everything. Even if we're with a patient, unfortunately, we stop and we go to the cold blue because that is meaning that somebody could die at the time, something that's really imminent. So um, that's what our focus would be during that time. And so we would go to the cold blue, and then afterwards, say uh, for some reason, if the family members are there, we try to take the family members off to the side where we can talk to them, you know, have uh, be support for them at that time. Or even if it's um, just, you know, being there with them. Sometimes it's not even uh, us being support. A lot of times it's not even what we say, it's, it's who we are. Uh, just as a chaplain, just being there a lot of times. And then afterwards, it could be a patient that died, um, and then we will go in and pray for the patient, uh, maybe pray with the family members uh, afterwards. But also, there's times when the staff, a nurse who may have, uh, you know, that might have been the first patient that they've seen die, or somebody who is um, a doctor who uh, is emotional about the situation, we'll take them off to the side. Hey, how you doing? Are you okay? You know, can I, can I pray for you? And, you know, just have some time with that, that nurse or the doctor because you never know how people's emotions are feeling, especially over this last year with COVID and everything that's going on. We've, I've seen so many patients that have died. And when we talk about this, it's like the, the one of the hardest parts for us as chaplains, and I, I, I can't speak for all chaplains, but I can say that, that this is uh, something that's been important. With COVID restrictions, to see patients die when they are, because basically what they do is they'll, they'll either have a walkie-talkie, because we, we, a lot of times we can't go into the room, so they have a walkie-talkie on the outside of the room and a walkie-talkie on the inside of the room or a, ba you know, a baby monitor. And so we're, we're talking to them that way. Right. And talking to the patient. Oh, talking is. to the patient, right, sure, to the okay. patient. So we're talking to the patient through the baby monitor, we're praying for them and that type of thing. But when the, a lot of times when the patients were dying, what happens is the nurse or the doctor would take a monitor or a screen or a phone inside the room so the families can actually see them over Zoom or over a duo call or something like that. And this is how they're seeing their family members die. Right. So like on an iPad or iPad. maybe a similar type Absolutely. of a device. Absolutely. So we can't even go in to provide that care, that, that, that touch, that hug and say, hey, you know, I'm, I'm here with you a lot of times. And so this is how a lot of people are seeing their family members die. Right, literally, so, seeing, li literally it, seeing their family members screen. die. Wow. Sometimes what they'll do is they might let maybe one or two family members into the room, and as they let them in, they, they put it, they don their PPE, they go into the room, they can see the patient or they can see them or they be with them, and then as soon as it's over, they have to, you know, they usually escort them out to the hospital because they don't know, you know, if the person, those people have COVID or whatever, and they have to protect everybody in the hospital. So to have that frame of mind of the family members, that's the last reference of them seeing their family members die because of COVID. And that's a very poignant, I mean, you feel the pain, uh, I, you know, the tenor of our conversation changes, you get that visual as you're describing that. What does that feel like for you, um, not only to have that honor in many ways to be able to be there, but just to sort of absorb and try to help a, a family member that may be at that kind of a distance where they literally can't really be there and, and so I don't know if you sometimes talk to them on the phone afterwards or how that experience is versus the code blue situation where maybe the family member is there. Well, I, t I tell you, um, from a spiritual standpoint, it's humbling um, to know that you go into a situation where you don't know people, um, where you can be a support to people, but also at the same time where you can still, um, whether that person is Christian or uh, don't have a, uh, they don't have a belief system at all, or different religions, whatever it is, that you can just be a support for that person during that time. Uh, we see people die all the time that don't have anybody with them, with their form. You see people that have loads of family with their form, 
But also we see sometimes, uh, and I, I hate to bring this up, but sometimes we're in a situation where it's a, uh, a family who might not like the color of my skin, that I'm there praying for them and their family while they're going through what they're going through, but I'm still there. 100% because that's what God has called me to do, right? So, um, so you, I as a chaplain, as a, as a reverend, I take this seriously. You know, every single day, every person, every time I see someone, I go in with the same agenda, which is to love and support, regardless of what goes on, regardless if they, if they like me or not, regardless if they're spiritual or not, because that's what God told me to do, right. to love my neighbor. Right, and I wanted to get at that word because it's an interdenominational group of chaplains because mm -hmm. obviously you can't be at the hospital 24 seven. Right. Um, so the goal isn't to convert, the goal isn't to try to make someone at the last moment mm -hmm. have a uh, aha mm -hmm. spiritual revelation or change. Mm -hmm. um, and so you yourself, what are some of those types of conversations or a poignant case where you may have been able to be there with a comfort and whether it was a staff member or, or a patient, um, just able to sort of either hear their thanks or their appreciation, again, more even on the secular side or the religious side? Well, so many, uh, so many great um, conversations and situations, and I appreciate the question because um, a lot of times people don't understand as an essential worker, which we are as chaplains, people don't see the side of it. So I'm really appreciating y'all for having this interview. So thank you so much. Um, I had a nurse uh, several weeks ago um, who um, there was a, there was a, well, two different things. Well, first it was a nurse who was there. She hadn't been there a long period of time. And she said that that was her fifth uh, COVID patient that died within a couple of days. And she was like, I'm tired, I'm ready to leave, I'm, I'm ready to find something else because she was just like, this is just too much for me. Um, but to be able to talk to her afterwards, after this, pa this patient just died, and to be able to talk to her, you know, and just to be there for her. And sometimes it's not just um, um, this, this great conversation that we're having and everything. Sometimes it's just somebody just needs somebody, for, somebody to listen. Somebody just say, listen, you know what? I just, I just thank you for, for listening. I thank you for being here. And you know, sometimes people will tell me, you know, just my presence alone, or a chaplain's presence alone was enough for them. Um, so those types of things really, you know, we really appreciate. There was a, unfortunately, there was a, a police officer who, um, and this was on the news uh, um, several months ago, a police officer from Georgia Tech that was there. And um, unfortunately, he died, you know, um, had been on the police uh, force for Georgia Tech for several years. and. Um, and then his, his, you know, unfortunately they had to check, you know, his wife and everybody else and everything. But he had, he unfortunately died. But just the, the thanks that we received from the family, which just really uh, was really wonderful. And so I just I really just appreciate what we get get a chance to do. But the the big thing is, you know, what happens afterwards, because the and that and that's the hard part about it because you don't get a chance to see that the patient go home. You don't get a chance to see that patient that's been there for uh, for 60 days, and then they go home, and then what happens to them afterwards? But we're still praying for them, you know, and, and asking God to cover them and, and cover their families. Um, I had a I had a call from a, a, a chaplain uh, recently who we had. A, it was a patient that had been in there uh, for like she was in there for like 45 or 60 days or something like that, and she was at her job, and uh, this this patient, she had uh, her family uh, recorded uh, tapes of their voices so they could actually hear, so she could hear their voices praying, hey, we love you, we're thinking about you and everything, and she came through it. 
And when she came through with this other chaplain, she went to go visit this other chaplain to tell her thank you for, for doing what you did with, that, with those, those tapes and everything that you were doing. That blessed me so much and that helped me get through it just by hearing those voices. It's got to be a very emotionally rewarding but also challenging experience to help family members and, and even some of the staff through this sense of loss, especially at this time. It's happening so frequently during COVID. What are maybe even just one experience um, that really stands out in your mind with a, with a family member, um, patient, and, and or maybe even staff that really sort of uh, epitomizes sort of what you're going through and how you can assist? Well, you know, there's, uh, there's, there's plenty. Um, the ones that really affect me uh, the most are the, the babies, you know, when you hear something happen to babies, and then the younger people, you know, that haven't got a chance to, to live life, those who, you know, die from COVID or those who um, have died from uh, cancer and that type of thing. So those, those really, really affect me. Um, but there's a, there was a doctor um, uh, not too long ago who had something that happened to his eye and when it, when it happened to his eye, he, he, uh, I, I asked him, I said, hey, how you doing, doc? And he's like, uh, I'm not doing too well today. And I said, uh, so can, do you mind if we talk? And so we went around the corner and just you know, had, a, had a nice conversation. And as we were talking, he was just telling me about you know, his eye and how he was thinking that he might not be able to uh, be a doctor anymore. He's like, you know, this is what I've been doing for the last 20-something years of my life. And this is all I know to do. This is it. And so we talked and, you know, we had a chance to pray and, you know, and just, you know, talk to him for a little while. And then I saw him a couple of weeks later and uh, his eye was doing better. And, um, and he just told me thank you, you know, for talking to him and, and, and being there for him, for him. So you just never know what somebody's going through. Um, it could be something um, that happens so quick and, you know, things happen so quickly in the hospital as it goes anyway. Um, you know, for me, I just have to prepare myself for whatever goes on, uh, whether it's going to be a, a cold blue or just walk in the halls. You just never know. And it not, it's not just the doctors or, or the nurses. Um, a lot of times, um, my biggest prayers are people like the food service workers who really don't get a lot of attention. Those, um, the people who clean the, the, the bedrooms uh, or the, the, the rooms after a COVID patient has died. Those people, nobody says thank you to them. You know, and I, when I see them, I tell them thank you so much for what you do because you clean in that room, it uh, enables the next patient to be able to come in, the next uh, staff members to come in and be able to be safe. So thank you for what you do. So all those conversations are very meaningful to me and I, I take them all very, very seriously, like I say. Sure. And you mentioned that there was a nurse one time and even a police officer that had pretty poignant cases mm -hmm. dealing with COVID specifically. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me a little bit about those? Yeah, the, the one nurse, uh, she was a nurse. She had been there for, like I said, about a couple of weeks or so. And she had five patients um, that died of COVID within a short period of time. And she was just really distraught. And she was just saying, basically, you know, look, I'm out of here. I'm, I'm, I'm going to find something else. I cannot do this work anymore. I need to find another field. And so we just had a chance to talk. You know, and it was just a moment where I got a chance to, I didn't even minister to her. It was just me listening. And that's what it is a lot of times. Somebody just wants to have a voice and, and to be heard and to be seen. And, uh, and it was just really amazing how afterwards, I think it was just like a weight that was lifted off her. I believe that she might have still changed, you know, careers. But at that moment, it was something that she needed. And I was uh, happy to be there. And then the, um, the police officer, um, he worked for Georgia Tech. He had been there for Georgia Tech uh, about 20 years or so. And um, like I said, it was all on, it was on, on the news here in Atlanta and everything. And it was just, you know, just being able to be there for his family, uh, to be 
do you have to pray for his wife and, and, and his children? I just, it just really touched me to know that I could be there and be a part um, when somebody's going through something so severe. And um, it's, just, it's just horrible to see what's, what's going on. And, you know, a lot, and, and going back to the song for a second, with So I Can Live, the, the, one of the things that really hurt, hurts me right now is the fact that this, this pandemic is not over and people are still not taking it seriously. And so one of the things that really bothers me is when I hear somebody say, you know what, I didn't listen. I wish I would have listened. Now my mother's passed away because I brought COVID into our home. We wanted to spend time as a family. I understand you want to spend time as a family, but when you did that, then you took COVID to your father, now your father's passed away. So the decisions that people are making right now are, still aren't healthy, and we're still, we still need to social distance. We still need to take care of each other, and, uh, and I, I just pray that we can do a better job of that. Sure. Let's tease that out a little bit because it's an ironic um, statement that sort of epitomizes your life. There was a time at which sort of really living in a secular world, Absolutely. which really is all about me, myself, and I, mm -hmm. at the end of the day, let me ball, let mm -hmm. me flow, right. let me, you know, right. spit, let me right. do some other things mm -hmm. that I can't say in the church. Right. Um, give me that independence, mm -hmm. though, to do things that certainly are focusing on me and, and certainly not the we. Um, and now, you know, this, this change comes and it's like, okay, you need to think about other people. Mm -hmm. if, even if you're in that life, you've got to stop, put on a mask, wear gloves mm -hmm. um, at times, or at least wash your hands, mm -hmm. and certainly uh, socially distance. Um, just talk to us about sort of how it is a challenge, especially amongst younger people, but we've even seen amongst old, mm -hmm. older people, mm -hmm. to really be willing to give up a freedom if they consider it that, right. um, and, and how you might sort of walk somebody through that, that process, because you've done it yourself. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, you know, and, and, and to be frank, uh, back in the end of November, beginning of, of December, I myself ended up having COVID, and I had to, um, you know, quarantine 14 days and everything. So, you know, I'm a living testimony of what, you know, what, what's, what's going on. And, uh, you know, I feel bad again for all the, all the ones that, are, that have died across the world. Um, but a younger person can still die from this. You know, babies have died from this. And I think that the, when, when somebody knows somebody that it's happened to, it, it hits home a little bit easier. You know, it's a little bit easier for them to understand. But I want them to know that regardless of they, if it's hitting close home to you, that this is something that you still need to work on. Uh, I have a younger son, um, two younger sons, and, uh, and, and both of them, you know, I have to tell them, like, look, you know, I love y'all, you know, but y'all have to be safe. You have to make sure that you are doing these things because you might not get affected, um, but we could get affected, you know, as, a, as, your, as your parents or, you know, when you're around your grandparents. So we have to take care of each other. We have to do those things in this season right now. And it might not be for a long period of time, but while we're in it right now, please be healthy, take care of yourself, and then look after other people. And I wanted to really bring it home because um, your wife has a very rare condition, mm -hmm. and I was privileged to be able to meet her. Um, tell us about some of the risks and concerns she has, not only um, because in this case you had COVID, but you're at such a great risk mm -hmm. um, because every day you're on the front lines, mm -hmm. like you said, as an essential worker, some of those steps you take, but also just how some of those conversations go mm -hmm. considering her, her underlying health. Right. Um, she has what's called MELAS, M-E-L-A-S is the you know, the acronym for it. Um, and, and so I have to be careful about what I do when I leave the hospital, coming home um, in, in both, at both jobs. So I really have to be careful uh, knowing that she can get sick. Um, it's a genetic disorder, and uh, she's had some, some issues with uh, uh, epileptic 
type uh, seizure-like symptoms. Um, and so she has to um, watch herself. She has to, you know, we can't have a bunch of people around us. We can't go and do what everybody else is doing. Because her and I, we were talking the other day, we were saying, you know what, we see all these people traveling and they're going out and doing all these different things. It's like, you know, are we like crazy for staying home? Because we're, you know, trying to protect ourselves and, and do the things that, that doctors and, and, and the scientists and everybody are, are trying to say that we should do. And we are like, no, we're, we're doing the right things. You know, because, you know, I, I want to keep you safe. You know, I want to make sure that when I come home that I'm, you know, taking my clothes off and washing them and, and doing those things because I don't want anything to happen to you. And the blessing was that even though um, that I did uh, get COVID back in November, that um, she was tested and she didn't, she didn't have it. Um, so that was a blessing. Um, you know, so it, to me, I was just thinking and I was telling somebody the other day about COVID itself. It's like, to me, it's like, I use this analogy, it's like shrapnel from a, from a gun. The shrapnel comes out a gun, but this 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 disease or this pandemic, this whatever COVID, goes into your body, and as it goes into your body, it goes in different places, and you never know what, what, what part of the body it's going to hit, right? So you just never know. So you have somebody that's uh, I heard somebody that was 100 years old recently, and she had cancer and COVID and survived, right. but then you have somebody that's 30 years old or 12 years old, and they die. So the shrapnel is hitting different, and and of course nobody knows all the answers, but that's why it's so important for us to to protect each other. Because if, if, the, if all the doctors and everybody don't know what's going on, then how can we know? And we don't even practice no medicine or anything like that, right? So, um, so we just have to continue to just do the best we can. And it's a daily practice. You know, it's not something that we can do for two weeks and then say, you know, it's over with. No, um, we have to continue this process until everybody can be safe. Sure, I love that. One last question for us to end on is you. How do you stay positive? How do you stay upbeat with all that you see um, and continue to have hope and provide hope mm -hmm. to those that sort of may be near the end of their life? Oh, man, that's, that's, a, that's a great question. I have to take breaks. I have to take breaks. I have to, um, I have a granddaughter, and with my granddaughter, uh, one of the things I love to do is I love to blow bubbles. And so we blow bubbles together, and that's one of my, I, and, and, and sometimes I just blow them on my own. I'll, 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 sit, I'll sit somewhere and I'll, I'll just have my bubbles, and I'm blowing bubbles. And uh, people are looking at me like, what is he doing? I'm like, no, I'm, I'm blowing my bubbles here. You know, leave me alone. Uh, so I like, I like blowing bubbles. Um, I, I, I take time um, to, to sit back and pray, of course. I have um, different ministers and people that are, that are around me that I get a chance to, to talk to them, you know, cry on their shoulders. Um, the, the people at the hospital, the people at, my, at, at, the, at the hospice, we, we all share. And that's one of the things that, that really help uh, me get through this. And uh, I like to take uh, breaks when I can and, and sit outside. And one of the biggest things that really helped me is, is, is music. Um, so being able to, to, to do music, um, I have other artists that we're working with with our record label. Uh, we have an artist named February Hill that we work with. Uh, I have an artist named John, uh, John Bennett that I, that I work with. And then myself, um, JS3, that's my, my quote stage name, JSIII. And uh, so through Jehovah Jam's records, that's a big outlet for me. Um, so it allows me to, to, to lay back, um, it allows me to relax, it, it allows me to be that creative uh, person that uh, God has uh, called me to be. And so those are the type of things that help me get through this. Uh, when I come up in this church and uh, I get a chance to, to just even hear the prayer that goes on in this church, the singing that goes on in this church here at uh, New Creation Christian Fellowship here in Stone Mountain, Georgia, it's, uh, it's wonderful. You know, and uh, that, you know, the apostle of this church, the founder of this church, is someone who I can call at any time. Anytime I need him, no matter if it's day or night, I can call him and I can say, hey, Apostle, I just need a word. You know, I just need a piece of encouragement and he's there for me. So all these different things. And, of course, I have my parents and 
back home in Miami and uh, here in Georgia. And, and so I have so many people that's around me. And then my wife, Patricia, she, she grounds me as well. So I have a lot of, um, of space to be able to do what I need to do. So when I get a chance to go back into the hospital or, or do work for the, for the, uh, the hospice, that, um, that I'm centered again and, um, and you know, ready to get back to work. Sure. Well, on this show, as we close, we're always talking about music and medicine. Yeah. And in your life, it has definitely, you need to, okay. On this show, um, we often talk about music and medicine and uh, Pastor Smith's life, literally, which still bridges both worlds in terms of um, the music ministry that he has with Jehovah Jams and also even as a chaplain. And you said too, Doctor of the Spirit. Just tell me a little bit about what that means, and we'll wrap up with that. Yeah, okay. Um, so when, a lot of times when, we, when I'm at the hospital, uh, especially, like, we, we wear uh, the lab coats, and I was a blue. And a lot of times when we go into the room, uh, the people will say, uh, uh, hey, doctor, how you doing? And I say, well, no, I'm not the, you know, the medical doctor. I'm the spiritual doctor. So, uh, you know, we call ourselves, uh, you know, as a joke, we just say we're, we're the doctors of the spirit. And so, um, so that's really uh, something that's really important to me. Um, but also, you know, with the music is... Um, uh, we for last uh, recently for for Black History Month, we, uh, February Hill and uh, this artist named uh, Luke G. We released a song called um, Queens and Kings, and it's basically about how you know we should be treating each other, and so that's that's uh, very very important, and I really appreciate that. But also um, coming soon, actually um, in a few weeks, in a few weeks, I have a, a, my first single. Uh, it's called On God that's going to be coming out, and so I'm promoting that single right now. I'm looking forward to that. But this music um, is so important to me. Um, it, you, know, it's po you know, it's Christian music, it's positive music, and it's something that um, I think that, you know, we need more of. Um, there are a lot of great artists that, that are out there that's doing some wonderful uh, things in music, especially with Christian rap. Um, and so there are artists now that is actually getting uh, major record label deals um, with, uh, with Christian rap, so I really appreciate what they're doing as well. So, you know, I just want to be a little, just be a, be a part of it and, and uh, be a part of uh, what's, what's going on and how God's will is for my life. So I'm, I'm just thankful as being a, a chaplain, as being a pastor, you know, as being uh, someone who enjoys music. And, um, and, I, and again, I really appreciate what you're doing. And so just thank you so much for, for this opportunity to be able to, um, you know, talk about uh, being a chaplain. And, uh, you know, I'm just, I'm honored to be here today. Sure. Well, I was very impressed with this story. Thanks so much. I'm your host, um, Dr. Moshe Lewis, here on Music and Medicine. You can follow us on Instagram at musicandmedicine.show. And also um, being here with Pastor Joe Smith from Jehovah Jams. And you can also find them on Instagram at Jehovah Jams um, Records. Ever thought about starting your own podcast? Do you have a business or a message you want to share with the world? Well, now it's easier than ever with Electricast. Hi, I'm Mark Netter. And I'm Peter Rafelson. We're the founders of Electricast Media. Whether you want to start a new podcast or already have one, join Electricast to grow your audience, monetize your content, and build your community. With our simple sign-up, you get free promotion, world-class analytics, premium ads, and personal support. Go to Electricast.com and join our community today. Electricast. Transform your influence. Electricast. Have you ever wondered what actually happens in Congress every day? Stay informed on Capitol Hill's daily happenings with a concise, factual summary of the Senate and House of Representatives activities from the previous session, free from bias, on the Congressional Record Daily Digest podcast. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and discover the process from the heart of U.S. politics. The Congressional Record Daily Digest, an Electricast production.
Electric Acid. Electric Acid.